On this week's show, we're going to talk about using service agreements as a marketing tool. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there in Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. Before we get into today's content, I want to share a little video with you that talks about why maintenance agreements are so important. One of the biggest challenges contractors face is managing the slow seasons. The key to that problem is building a solid foundation of service agreement customers. Let me give you a couple of examples. I know of a company that has roughly 20,000 service agreement customers. If they see each of those customers twice in the heating and cooling season, that's 40,000 service calls in the course of a year. That's 150 calls per day. Now think about that for a second. They could stop their marketing tomorrow and the phone would ring thousands of times, 150 calls a day for a year. That, my friends, is what's called job security. Now not everybody's gonna have that kind of volume. Not everybody's a huge company. I remember in 2007 when I bought one of my competitors, they had zero service agreement customers. In a matter of a couple of years, we had built that to 3,000 service customers. It's such an important part of your business because it insulates you against those slow seasons. Let me give you three simple steps that you can use starting today to grow your maintenance base. Number one, every time your CSR schedules a service call, be sure they tell the homeowner, the very last thing they tell the homeowner is be sure and ask the service technician about your discounts. You gotta plant that seed, it's kind of clickbait, right? It puts the homeowner in a situation to where they're gonna be asking your service technician about the discounts. Number two, when your technician gets to the house, make sure one of the things he says or she says is, I understand Mary at the office said you were interested to know more about our discounts, right? Now you've got the service technician bringing up the same conversation. Number three, make sure that your maintenance technician or your service technician has some information on the maintenance agreements. On a simple one sheet of paper, I call it the handoff. So after the initial greeting, before they go start working on the system, simply hand the sheet of paper to the homeowner, and on that sheet of paper is all the information on your maintenance agreement program, including the discounts. As your service technician goes about his business, the homeowner is reviewing the information. Inevitably, that's going to spur a conversation about the maintenance agreement and the discounts the homeowner can get under that agreement. The key to managing the slow times in your business is having that solid foundation of maintenance agreement customers. So go to your CSRs today. Tell them the last thing they should tell the homeowner when they set that appointment is to ask the technician about discounts. Then tell your technicians. The first thing they should talk about is I understand you want information about our discounts and then hand off the information about the maintenance agreement. When that happens, you're gonna have a lot fewer sleepless nights during your slow season. That, my friends, is job security. As we do every week here on Contract University, we get a bunch of great questions. I want to share one we got this week. It says, I've been revisiting my marketing plan and revising it for 2019. I was wondering if there are some better ways I could be using service agreements as a marketing tool. Well, that's a great question. And once again, we're going to turn to our resident expert, Mr. Gary Ellix, and he's going to take us on a deep dive on how to use service agreements as a marketing tool. Here's what Gary's going to cover. Number one, what to call your service agreement. Number two, your people have to understand it. Number three, IAQ promos. Number four, looking at equipment your customers don't have and creating a promotion. And last and number five, creating calls to action that customers can't say no to. 
So the first thing I need you to do is I need you to create a sexy name for your club. Uh, it's not a maintenance agreement club. And so years ago, Lennox called it Planned Maintenance. It was called PM, Planned Maintenance. And they had a nice little logo as a sticker, and everybody loved that, and that was a good idea. Okay. Subsequent years, um, other companies have created names. So ESA, Energy Savings Agreement. Our own version is USA, Ultimate Savings Agreement. We got a big eagle. We got a picture of a flag. We got a branding concept behind it. The reason we call it USA is because everybody's heard the term USA. So as an internal marketing concept, the first thing I want you to recognize is I want you to train your technicians. I want you to train your internal people so that they become culturally in love with maintenance. So the best approach to do that is to make that simple for them to understand. The simpler it is, the better the execution is in the world. The problem with the simplicity out here at the end is it usually takes a lot of thought at the beginning. So I want you to think through what you want to title your club, whether or not that title makes sense based on the product and the branding strategy. You know, we're at a place where USA matters. We want the USA to be red, white, and blue, which are our company colors. We want the eagle. We want people to be in love with that. It's really a strategy that aligns for the internal training as much as it aligns with the idea that there's a club. So one of the things that we know, one of the things we absolutely know, is that existing customer relationships produce a higher return for us in terms of dollars. So that's right down here, the existing customers in number three. They produce 67% more revenue because they have an existing trusting relationship with you as a provider. It's no different than you being in the dentist's office. You know, if it's the first time you've ever been to the dentist and they go, well, you're, you've got a problem here, you've got root canal and... You know, you've got a, a bad tooth, and we're going to need to take that thing out. I mean, the first attempt of that relationship would be, well, hey, wait a minute, I'm not too sure about that. I might, I might want to consider that. I might not want to do it right now. But if you've been doing business with a dentist for four or five or six years, and everything's been fine, and really there hasn't been any issues, and they've been cleaning your teeth, and, you know, maybe once in a while you had a cavity, and maybe they sold you some tooth whitener, and, you know, they've talked to you about your toothpaste, and maybe every once in a while rinse yourself with some hydrogen peroxide, so forth, so forth. So you build this relationship. And then, at some point, you have that same problem. You have a little root canal issue going on. Uh, the odds of you saying, well, yeah, I mean, I think we probably need to take care of that are drastically higher because for the years that you've been doing business with the dentist, they haven't been trying to sell you anything. They've been managing the relationship based on the maintenance of your teeth. And you look at that and you say, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense because, you know, I, I've been feeling pain, and so it seems like that that's something that we need to deal with, and so you tend to execute that strategy. So the difference is, is that when we have a relationship, customers that are in that existing relationship have a level of trust, and that brings us back to this issue, which is brand is equal to trust, and when you have trust, you are developing your brand experience. Customers are very happy to say, well, yeah, that makes sense. The fourth component of that is client lockdown. I mean, that is really one of the main marketing reasons that we look at. If I can take a customer relationship and I can sell you a multi-year agreement or even a one-year club agreement for a dedicated price, as long as I perform my brand experience well, meaning that I have a well-trained technician that understands customer relationships, social styles, understands the communication technique necessary to make people feel good about your company and your brand experience. We're polite, we're organized. Maybe we've used Brigham Dickinson in terms of call center, you know, customer relationships, how we're answering the phone, the wow experience. If we have those things in place, 
the customer is going to really appreciate and like our brand. And that also, by the way, contributes down here to social media referrals and reviews later that make people say, well, I really like doing business with that company, so I'm going to like them on Facebook, and maybe I'll send a note out. Maybe I'll write a review on Yelp or City Search or Angie's List or whatever medias and paid uh, systems that you might be in involved with. So we're looking at the client lockdown process and saying that no one else can get to this client. No one else can get to that organization. So that's up to you at that point in terms of you have the ability to maintain uh, the relationship if you maintain the brand experience. If you lose them, it will only be because that we had a problem inside of the brand experience. And that's really a game I'm willing to play. In other words, I'd be happy to try to manage the relationship and uh, it's mine to lose. I feel like that in your marketing funnel, if we have those agreements to this level, you're probably going to produce an awful lot of results that look just like this. Your cash flow, your profitability, your margin, your GP dollars are all going to go up. You're winning and you're going to look at that and you're going to say, I looked at service agreements as a high labor, low material event, which they are, but then when you look at the production of what the outcome is later for the seeds of success, um, well, Ron Smith, uh, I've heard Mark Madison quoted, said, the road to prosperity is paved with service agreements, and that's really what this is discussing right here, is how that prosperity occurs. So, existing customers are spending more money with us. We've got control of promotions. I'm going to spend a little time on number four right here. The bottom line here is, is that we're going to map an IAQ strategy, we're going to map an upgrade strategy, and we're going to map a repair versus replacement strategy. So IAQ is based in principle on what the customer doesn't have in their indoor air quality model. So point I want you to make sure you note is I want you to take notes when you're on your maintenance calls and you're doing and conducting your work of what the customer does not have inside of their data set. In other words, They've got a furnace, an air conditioner, or a heat pump, and they may have a humidifier, or maybe they don't. Well, whatever IAQ platform you market, you should make a note or a checklist for the service technician on the maintenance calls of what the customer does not have that fits into your marketing portfolio. So when you look at this IAQ and you go back up here and you say, well, there is no consumption, what we can do is we can target the maintenance strategy the next time we schedule the next time I'm prepared to go out there, I can look in my customer database, and instead of looking at the equipment that they do have, I want to look at what they don't have so that I can create a promotion. I want to be able to take the technician's promotion, and I want to be able to place that in the home with the technician right here, right now. So a um, couple of things you might want to write down. We have a best value, lowest cost guarantee for the consumer on any product or accessory that they might have because they have paid me to be there. They have paid me to be present in their place of you know, residence. Because of that, I have no overhead attached to the technician being on that site at this point on any accessory sale. The second guarantee that I have is I'm going to give you a 30-day test drive. Anything I put in, I'm going to let you have it for 30 days. At the end of 30 days, we'll run your credit card. So we'll let you decide. You're allowed to shop. You can do whatever you want. But because my club benefit structure has a benefit in it that says, I'm willing to offer you any club benefit price at a discounted price because I've already recovered the overhead. Let's take a stat. I might offer the Vision Pro stat for $270. The marketplace might see that as a $350 to $400 stat. Well, I'll offer best value, lowest price guarantee in a 30-day trial period. And so I can place the IAQ upgraded stat in the home with the technician 
through this process because I'm there, you're not stressed, the customer has the opportunity. We can even create a financing platform around some of the equipment offer, you know, offers that we might make. So the customer has the opportunity to buy or not buy based on a trial methodology. Go back to the marketing model discussion you know, in a sort of video five. We said marketing is about creating trial. So I'm in this place out here. I'm way out here, okay? And because I'm out here and there's a no stress, no consumption situation, what I'm giving you is I'm giving you the opportunity to engage in a product or service at no risk, best value, lowest cost guarantee, I'll match the price, or you have a 30-day trial period, you don't like it, we'll come back out and we'll put your old stat back on, we're fine with that. What happens is that price point, you can't send a truck from point A to point B and do this price point at the same price that I can do it because my technician has been paid to be present. I've already got his payroll covered. I've got the cost associated with the truck covered. What I'm doing is just simply taking a thermostat that has a cost of goods sold, the commission that I pay him, the payroll to put it in. Those are my real cost of goods. What's left over is I add profit to that job. And so if it costs me $170 for payroll, bonus, you know, the spiff, the actual stat, $100 of profit goes from 170 to 270. The more of these I place, the more profitability I produce. That only happens because we actually sold an agreement up here where we had a customer engage in that process. And this is the lever of the marketing strategy right here. This is how you produce a $650 to $800 average yearly recurring revenue. The same could be said of a UV light. Same process with the UV light. I know you don't have a UV light on your truck because I captured the database that says you don't have UV lights. I can load the truck with UV lights the next time I see you on my schedule. I can promote that UV light with a kind of a almost economic no-brainer for the homeowner to purchase that UV system. Once I place the UV system, I now know that I'm going to have a replacement bulb requirement. I can put that in the database. And so as time goes on and marches on, I'm going to sell you the replacement bulb. I can even sell you a group of replacement bulbs and just put them on site, and we can change them for you later when we come out and do our regularly scheduled maintenance. Either way, the IAQ platform is producing revenue and GP dollars for us because here we are staring at you know, a customer that didn't have something that may be interested in it. Now, that doesn't mean everybody is going to buy it, but if it's one out of eight, fine. If it's one out of 15, fine. If it's one out of 20, fine. It doesn't really matter. Your own metrics are based on the principles of how well you're going to do your training with your technicians and the age of the database, basically, of the equipment that's out in your world. And that's different for everybody. Now, as you know, as a member of Contract University, you get access, exclusive access, to our Ask the Experts call every other week with me, Gary Ellis, and Drew Cameron. This week, I want to share a clip with you about how to deal with the three bids objection. We all know that you know, we're going into March and April and, and May, and the reality is these are some of the slower months in our industry. It's not really cold. It's not really hot. So what's going to happen is that customers, homeowners, are going to take more time to talk to more contractors, and you're going to run into three bids more often. So take some time and watch this clip and get yourself ready for dealing with three bids. Yeah, it's a great question. It's one that we deal with a lot, especially on marketed leads. Uh, my experience is it's a little less of a difficult issue on tech turnover leads, that kind of thing. But if you do a lot of marketed leads like my company did, it's going to be uh, a huge deal uh, to deal with. I've got a client that 
virtually has no marketing leads. I remember one time talking to their sales team about dealing with three bids. They're like, we never get three bids because all they, they, they run thousands of tech turnover leads all year. But for those of us who uh, rely on marketed leads, it's one of the biggest challenges we face. And look, you handle, you handle it the way you handle any objection. You have to deal with it proactively. You know that your homeowner is probably thinking about three bids if you're there in a marketed lead, especially if it's something from a, uh, one of these electronic digital lead sources where Angie's List or whatever, where you know it went to at least two other contractors. Uh, they're thinking very much on the, three, the, the line of three bids. So the key to overcome the objection is the same uh, strategy we use for any objection, price or I want to think about it, whatever it is. We have to deal with it proactively. And kind of our core training, and I would encourage everybody to go, uh, if you look at the core training and the 10 uh, core trainings, the, the basic uh, uh, sales training, kitchen table sales process, we talk specifically about this. Obviously, it's a, it's a common problem. But you have to have that conversation ahead of time. And if you go through the training, you'll see that basically it's a conversation to kind of bring it out. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, you're probably thinking about, you know, maybe talking to a couple of different contractors and bring that stuff out. And we don't have time to go through the whole process today. But basically, we're going to illustrate to them that three bids does not protect them. And one of the central questions that we ask in that conversation is, have you ever known anybody who got three bids for a project for their home and still had a problem with the contractor? Most people have had that experience and know of somebody. Three bids doesn't protect people. What protects people is a company they can rely on, a company who will stand behind their, uh, their services and their installation. At the end of the day, that's what's going to protect people. Uh, the key thing is, is not to wait until it comes up necessarily because, you know, if it comes up at the very end, then you're in a situation where you can sound a little bit defensive, like you're just thinking about it. But I like to deal with it head on. Very early on in the sales presentation, kind of have an honest conversation about three bids. Uh, I call it the three bid myth because I think it's one of the things. It's a myth that, that permeates our industry, both on the homeowner side and the and the contractor side. Because if in our mind we're thinking, well, yeah, there, I probably would get three bids too, then you're probably not going to be very successful at dissuading them from getting three bids. So it's part of the core sales training process. Deal with it proactively. It's a very simple question. And at the end of the conversation, we ask uh, what, what I refer to as one of the power questions, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, if on one hand, you had my company who would take care of you the way we took care of Mrs. Jones. And over here, you had three companies who would tell you anything to get their hands on your money. Which of those companies would you prefer? In most cases, they'll say, well, of course, I'd prefer the company that took care of Mrs. Jones. Well, that, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, concession they're making uh, gives you a little bit more ammunition at the end if they decide to keep pursuing three bids. Doesn't mean it's going to work 100 times out of 100. Uh, but as I like to say, if you're closing four out of 10 or five out of 10, that means you're losing five or six out of 10. It's about finding the one or two that you can persuade to go ahead and trust your company. So it's part of the process. I would recommend that you go through the core sales training. It's an important part of the process and certainly an objection we're going to be facing uh, on an ongoing basis. So with that, I'll toss it back over to Drew, and I'm sure Gary will have some insight on that as well. No, thank you, uh, Weldon, and, and great job. I mean, and, and you do a great job with this. Like you said in the core training, and I, you know, I know you're not one to to toot your own horn, so I'll I'll, I'll toot it for you. Uh, yes, definitely get online, get onto the EGI platform, look at the the core content uh, content sales training videos. Uh, Weldon has uh, not only where he explains uh, similar to what he just did, where he explains the process, but then he role plays it, you know, sitting directly at the kitchen table. And if that's not good enough, uh, you know, then I highly suggest you get to uh, see. Uh, sales, you know, uh, 1.0 or 101, I think is what we're calling it, uh, where we call it the invincible sales professional, uh, based off that same content in the class where 
myself or Weldon or a couple of the other trainers with EJ, uh, we teach that specific skill and, uh, and role play it there as, you know, as well, because uh, it is something like Weldon said, you want to deal with it. Um, well, you want to deal with it when it comes up. And, and like Weldon said, if you can uh, dispel that early, uh, you know, so be it. If you can't, and that becomes a little bit of a challenge. And I, and I certainly understand that, uh, you know, so I, you know, I, I take a, uh, an approach to uh, validate and educate, meaning support the customer's lean. If they're leaning towards getting three bids and you've gotten towards the end of your call and you haven't you know, dealt with it. And, and like Weldon said, if that's who they are, that's who they are. You're not going to you know, change their spots just because you happen to meet them today. And, and obviously maybe have an installation uh, opening on your schedule tomorrow. Uh, you know, if they're, they're going to do that, then, then support that by all means. We, we, uh, uh, realize that an educated customer is our best consumer. Now that you're going out there and looking for that, is there something in particular that you are looking for that maybe I haven't shared with you and, and clear that up? Number one. And then number two is, um, you, you know, if you can educate them on what to look for, the differences be- between contractors, not between, you know, what you quoted as far as the scope of work, because if you're, you're trying to distinguish between your brand or your model or, or something like that, I think you're going to find yourself in trouble. So I think you want to, go ahead and validate and edu- then educate and support their lean. And the approach I take with that is express their concerns once they share them with you in a way, maybe even better than they stated them to show that you understand them. Yeah, that's what we call validating. Uh, and so uh, once you have a, the express down, expressive part down, then you go to responsive where you're responding to their concern by maybe sharing some appropriate information that's in flow with the conversation. And then lastly, and I think most importantly is, Let's take it away from me, in my opinion, and maybe go third party. And, and so there I can reference maybe an article or uh, ACCA or AHRI or uh, even Consumer Reports that, that supports the point you know, that we're talking about, that good contractors do a heat loss, heat gain load calculation. And you want to make sure that you're looking for that and maybe point to something specific along those lines. Or even better, point to a third party, a customer who was in a similar situation as them, and tell them what they did in that particular situation so that this customer doesn't feel like they're alone in their concern and that you've helped somebody kind of get over that, uh, you know, that's right in alignment with what they're thinking. Because again, that validates, then educates. And at the end of the day, you know, what I'm not going to go ahead and suggest or uh, recommend anything to them to do is say, you know, other people in your situation have found this. Therefore, you may want to consider that. And, and by doing it that way, kind of an expressive response of third party, uh, when it comes up at the end, uh, that's how I've dealt with it. But I like Wally's approach. You know, I'd rather deal with that and dispel that right up front. Gary, I'll throw it to you. Appreciate that, guys. Uh, yeah, I love everything you guys have said there. Uh, both of you are right on point. Um, only uh, additional item that I might add is uh, – to strengthen um, your in-home process where Wally and Drew have already talked about dealing with the objection. Um, we've always sort of taken the idea that we're going to run into that problem as something that's going to happen. So we can predict the idea that, hey, we're going to have to deal with this. So not only do we have to have great training, we have to have uh, skill sets to deal with it in the home, build great relationships. Um, we think about it more like playing chess. So there's different social styles. People buy in different methodologies. Uh, So typically somebody like my father, even, uh, uh, you know, an analytical cell personality might be the person that needs to quantify. And uh, even though the emotional side comes first, the analytics are still part of their uh, equation of figuring out, is this a good value? Is it inside of the reasonable envelope? 
uh, do I want to buy from that particular company? So uh, just to, an idea for you, something we've done in the past is we always, uh, at part, as part of sales lead coordination, we literally send out um, a questionnaire um, that actually encourages people to compare and contrast our company with our questions and our answers, and then uh, inviting people to compare our company to any other company in the marketplace. Um, the odds of us winning against somebody like Wally are low because Wally is probably more effective in the sales process than I am. However, the odds of me winning against somebody who isn't Wally uh, go up dramatically, you know, if all things are equal and I'm equally skilled as the relationship in the sales process, the fact that I can position my company as worth more money and I've given the consumer a methodology to, to quantify and qualify the other contractors, warranties, guarantees, load calculations, you know, uh, after the sale follow-up, referrals, uh, third-party articles, all that types of sets of information are in that questionnaire. Uh, so we call it uh, the not all companies are created equal uh, document. It is on the EGI site. And there are 23 questions that we send out along with a, a predetermined email. Uh, so we do that. We do that as a, as a matter of course, and we predict that. And then we have a second document that's PDF, which is how to choose a contractor. Um, so one of the things that we say uh, in advance to Wally's point and to Drew's point uh, is that uh, the contractor is really the driving factor here. It's uh, not the equipment. It isn't necessarily the technology or the parts side of that uh, or the sheet metal. It's uh, who's installing that machine and, you know, the experience level. So we have created a document that basically says 80 percent of the job of any contracting work is the, the choice of the contractor, the quality of that choice that you make. Uh, your experience depends on it. So here's some things that you might want to know. And so we list out a whole bunch of different information that essentially articulates why, uh, how, com how consumers should, should choose and then compares our company to the marketplace. And so really at the end, our point is, hey, um, whether you choose us or whether you choose ABC air conditioning, just be careful that you choose the right company. And so I'm perfectly okay losing the job to a great contractor. Um, I, what you, you're trying to avoid here is what Wally's point is from four to five or five to six, or you know, finding that one or two per week is a profit changing kind of event for your company. Um, that's really all we're after is a way to improve our closure rates and our average tickets a little bit. So that, that's about all I would add to that conversation is think three dimensionally, think in advance, prepare for it. And when you have the opportunity to deal with the issue in the home, you have what we call a warm sales call process. You have the ability to invoke the very conversation that you that you predetermined. Uh, so me personally, I don't get three bids. I'm an emotional buyer. So when I want something, I figure I like you, I trust you, I'm going. Uh, but like people like my father, uh, who's an engineer and analytical, uh, once he determines that he likes Wally, he'll still want Wally to validate. And so that's what we, that's what we need to do. Well, folks, that's our show for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Be sure and review this material again if you need to. Learn how to use these maintenance agreements as marketing tools. And of course, be ready to handle three bids. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.